0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Growth Path, where we discuss professional development and tools to help you grow in your career and life. I'm Michelle Tandler, founder of Growth Path Labs. Today, we are going to talk about how to prioritize. This is a very important topic for personal and professional growth, because if you don't prioritize the right things, you will waste tremendous time, energy, and resources pursuing activities that don't matter or give you the results that you want. Worse, if you are a team manager and aren't strong in prioritization, your team will work on too many different projects, ultimately leading to duplication and poor decisions. Teams that aren't clear on their priorities often inch along without seeing results. They additionally have a hard time collaborating with others and often suffer from a lack of momentum, which leads to poor morale and ultimately burnout. The most successful people and teams all have one thing in common. They are highly skilled at prioritization They allocate their time and energy effectively towards the things that matter most. They get more done and they do more with less. For this episode, I'm trying something a little different. While usually for Growth Path we have guest speakers come on to share their wisdom, there are too many incredible insights on this topic from too many people to limit it to just one. For that reason, the way I'm structuring this episode is more like a research report. I went back to some of my favorite books on business, management, leadership, and personal effectiveness with the goal of finding overlap in their recommended principles, frameworks, and tactics for effective prioritization. I wanted to know what people like Andy Grove, Peter Drucker, Stephen Covey, and Michael Porter had to say. I looked at books like The Effective Engineer, High Output Management, and The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. By digging into the works of some of the greatest thinkers, I was able to find some common themes and frameworks my intention in this episode is to share with you the highlights and key takeaways of what I have learned. This episode is grouped into three sections. The first is focused on principles. These are some of the highest level foundations or beliefs on prioritization. The next section is on frameworks and structures. We'll focus on some of the most popular ones, such as Eisenhower matrix, Pareto principle, and priority codes. The third part is focused on tactics, where I'll be sharing tips and tricks for prioritization, along with a few examples of how they can be put to use. And I'm going to wrap by sharing some inspirational quotes from some of the greatest thinkers on this topic. Attached to this audio episode is something that I'm calling the Learn More document. In this document, you will find notes and key takeaways, timestamps, and links to the books, videos, and articles that I recommend if you want to, you guessed it, learn more. Additionally, I'm including some reflection and discussion questions, whether you are learning on your own with a friend or with a team. These should help you dig deeper into the topic and reflect on how you can improve your skill sets around prioritization. You can subscribe by clicking the link in the show notes or going to www.growthpathlabs.com forward slash subscribe. Okay, that's enough for this introduction. Let's dive in. All right, so the first section is on principles, and we're going to focus on three authors here. Stephen Covey, who wrote The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, Michael Porter, who wrote a lot on strategy, and we're going to focus on his most famous essay called What is Strategy? And then Edmund Lau, who wrote The Effective Engineer. Let's start with Stephen Covey. So there are two principles in his book that I think are relevant here. The first is this concept of begin with the end in mind, and the second is first things first. So begin with the end in mind. He says, what are the things I want to accomplish? And he quotes actually Peter Drucker and Warren Bennis here. And He says, management is doing things right, but leadership is doing the right things. And he gives this amazing analogy of uh, hacking through a jungle. So he says, you can quickly grasp the important difference between the two if you envision a group of producers cutting their way through a jungle with machetes. They're producers, the problem solvers are cutting through the undergrowth and clearing it out says the managers are behind them, sharpening the machetes, writing policy and procedure manuals, holding muscle development programs, bringing in improved technologies and setting up schedules and comp programs, etc. But he says the leader is the one who climbs the tallest tree, surveys the entire situation and yells, wrong jungle. And so what he says is basically we're often so busy cutting through the undergrowth, we don't even realize we're in the wrong jungle He says effectiveness, often even survival, does not depend solely on how much effort we expend, but on whether or not the effort we expend is in the right jungle. So his concept of begin with the end in mind is a lot about making sure that your goal is correct in the first place. Now, his focus actually um, oscillates back and forth between the personal and the professional. For example, in his chapter, Begin with the End of Mind, he talks about envisioning your funeral and thinking about the things you want people to say about you, thinking about your values and your principles as an individual and how that can relate to your work. About the relation to leadership, he says, we're into managing with efficiency, setting and achieving goals before we have even clarified our values. He lays out a number of exercises you can do, such as creating a personal mission statement uh, that can help guide you. But the main point here is that you must be clear on your principles um, and your values. From that can flow your ultimate goals, and that can then lead to your priorities. Relatedly to this concept of beginning with the end in mind is his writing on First Things First, what he also refers to as principle-centered leadership. He writes that we all have many roles to play. You might be a daughter, a father, a spouse, a board member, and ultimately you can put these things in order, but you will always be pulled from one role to the next. For example, you need to buy the symphony tickets for date night and then your daughter calls. Ultimately, you must lead a principle-centered life, is what he says. And he mentions Viktor Frankl, who wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. And Viktor Frankl has a very famous quote in his book, and it says, says, Ultimately, man should not ask what the meaning of his life is, but rather must recognize that it is he who is asked. Covey follows this up and says principles are deep, fundamental truths, classic truths, generic common denominators. Our security comes from knowing that unlike other centers based on people or things that are subject to frequent and immediate change, correct principles do not change. We can depend on them. So what he's essentially saying here is if you have a clear um, set of principles, this acts as a North Star, both for you personally and for your business. This is about having a sense of mission. Goals and priorities will flow from this mission. And so if you are struggling to prioritize, there may be a lack of principles or strategy in place, and that may be the place to start. So um, a little more on First Things First. He, uh, He has this great quote. He says, I often ask people, if you were to fault yourself in one of three areas, which would it be? One, the inability to prioritize. Two, the inability or desire to organize around those priorities. Or three, the lack of discipline to execute around them and to stay with your priorities and organization. And he writes that most people say their main fault is a lack of discipline. But he says on deeper thought, he does not believe this is actually the case. He says the basic problem is that their priorities have not become deeply planted in their hearts and minds. They haven't really internalized what he calls habit to begin with the end in mind. He says the best managers clarify their values and set goals and they plan each day and prioritize their activities around these. If you are clear on your principles, everything will flow through. In architecture, form follows function. And in your personal life, your time spent or how you spend your time follows your values and principles. In business, management follows leadership. It is rarely the discipline which is the issue. It's much more often about not being truly rooted in the principles or having your priorities deeply planted in your hearts and minds. So ultimately, he says, the way you spend your time is a reflection of your priorities. I think I'll pause there on Stephen Covey. The book is 440 pages. There is so much good in there. And a lot of founders and executives I've spoken with said it was a completely transformational book. So if you are going to pick one book out of all of the ones mentioned today to check out further, I would definitely recommend Seven Habits of Highly Successful People. But let's move on and talk about how this relates to strategy. And so I wanted to pull from Michael Porter's famous essay from 1995, What is Strategy? Michael Porter was a professor at Harvard Business School and a global thought leader on strategy for decades. The part of this essay that always spoke most to me was this line, the essence of strategy is choosing what not to do. In fact, I feel so strongly about this sentence. I'm going to say it again. The essence of strategy is choosing what not to do. Um he follows this up with a couple other lines that are just fantastic, so I'm going to share those as well. He writes, "You must set limits on what you're trying to accomplish. The company without a strategy is willing to try anything. Strategy must have continuity; it cannot be constantly changing." And what he's saying here is you must make difficult choices about what is important. You have to set limits. You cannot do everything. And this this principle is echoed by Ben Horowitz in The Hard Thing About Hard Things. He writes, if everything is a top priority, nothing is. Something else that Michael Porter writes about, he says, trade-offs arise from limits on internal coordination and control. By clearly choosing to compete in one way and not another, senior management makes organizational priorities clear companies that try to be all things to all customers risk confusion in the trenches as employees attempt to make day-to-day operating decisions without a clear framework. So what he's saying here is that priorities flow through the organization. You have to make hard decisions. You cannot be all things to all customers. This principle is also referenced in high output management by Andy Grove, who was the CEO of Intel for a number of decades. And he wrote, frequently a strategy at one managerial level is the tactical concern of the next higher level. What he's saying here is, you might have a very, very high-level strategy, you know, the the mission of the company or the vision of the company, and that gets translated into specific goals for a level down. The goals for level down might then be broken down even further into tactical concerns of the next level. So basically, this all is saying you have to start with first things first. You must be clear on what is the ultimate vision and principle and work from there. Lastly, before we wrap this section on principles, I just want to share this one uh, principle from Edmund Lau and the Effective Engineer. There's no name for this principle, but I thought it was important and worth mentioning. He talks about the compounding nature of prioritization. He says, right focus can significantly accelerate a product's growth rate. Even small 0.5% wins in key areas can compound like interest and not a million users down the line. But by the same token, the opportunity cost of working on the wrong ideas can set back growth by months or years. Prioritization is a high leverage activity because it determines the leverage of the rest of your time. After all, if you work for weeks on a project that has little impact and garners few lessons, how is that different for your business than not working at all? And I just love this, the compounding nature of prioritization. He speaks a lot about leverage in his book and how important it is to have leverage. I, I think all these principles relate to one another. And basically that they're saying, you got to make sure you're focused on the right things. And if you're working on the right things, you will have exponential output. And if you're focused on the wrong things and spending your energy on a bunch of different things that don't relate to the ultimate vision, you'll sort of spin your wheels. And it's really no different than uh, not working at all. All right. So that's a wrap for this section on principles. Let's move on to frameworks and structures. We're going to talk about five different frameworks. The first will be the Eisenhower matrix, also known as the Eisenhower box or the urgent important two by two. We'll then talk about the Pareto principle. Next, we'll talk about priority codes, which is very common in engineering. And lastly, MBO, management by objective by Andy Grove. All right, so first up, the Eisenhower Matrix, also known as the Eisenhower Box. This was invented by Dwight Eisenhower, the 34th president of the United States, who was a five-star general in the U.S. Army and served as supreme commander, who prepared the strategy for an allied invasion of Europe. He made many tough decisions about what tasks to focus on, so he invented the now world-famous Eisenhower method, which helps people prioritize by urgency and importance. This matrix was popularized by Stephen Covey in The Seven Habits, and he says, most of us spend too much time on what is urgent and not enough time on what is important. There's this concept called the mere urgency effect, which can lead to distraction, essentially being distracted by urgent and unimportant tasks, for example, email or instant messaging. And importance has to do with results. If something is important, it contributes to your mission, your values, and your top priority goals. If you don't know what is important, then you will easily get diverted towards the urgent. Thus, you can really only prioritize if you know what the higher level vision and mission is. And we already talked about that in First Things First. So he says, if you aren't clear in that, then you must work through that first with yourself, your team, or your managers. Without a clear directive, mission, strategy, and goals, you cannot prioritize. So, all right, there's this box and there are four quadrants in it. It's a two by two. Um, We have urgent and not urgent, urgent on the left, not urgent on the right. And then we have important and not important. So like any great two by two, you want to be operating in the top right quadrant, which we call quadrant two. So we'll just start there. Quadrant two is the most important and the heart of effective management, whether that's personal or for a team. It's basically the things we need to do and we often postpone them because they aren't urgent Peter Drucker says, effective people are not problem-minded, they're opportunity-minded. And Covey paraphrases this and says, they feed opportunities and starve problems. They think preventatively. So things in quadrant two are things like planning and projects. Exercise is in quadrant two. Relationship building is in quadrant two. Personal development and growth. Even just spending time, figuring out what your priorities are. That's all quadrant two. This is the not urgent important. And he says, it's very tempting to get pulled into the other quadrants. So quadrant one, urgent and important these are crises and problems and he says many people get stuck here people who are crisis managers and problem-minded people deadline-driven producers a lot of people will basically live in quadrant one. And um, he says some of them will only get relief by moving into quadrant four. They spend 90% of their time in the world of crises, and then they'll spend 10% of their time in quadrant four. All right, what is quadrant four? That is the not urgent and not important. So busy work, some emails, some phone calls, time wasters, surfing the web. And I bet we all can think of someone that we know who is constantly putting out fires and then you know um, doing a bunch of busy work. He, he Basically, says you do not want to exist in this paradigm. And then he also speaks about quadrant three, which is urgent and not important. And those are things like interruptions and notifications, some email and Slack, some meetings. And I added chit chat with colleagues. He says it's almost impossible to say no to the popularity of quadrant three or to the pleasure of escape to quadrant four if you don't have a bigger yes burning inside. And when he says the bigger yes burning inside, he's talking about quadrant two. So you have to be really proactive to work in quadrant two because quadrants one and three will work on you and uh, quadrant four will be a pleasant distraction. Some people will say you can break up these quadrants and you can say if something is quadrant one, you should do it now. If it's quadrant two, decide or schedule a time to do it. If it's quadrant three, you can delegate and figure out who else can do it for you. And if it's in quadrant four, just delete it, eliminate it. So that's another way to look at this. But the key takeaway I took away from this is really try to figure out what are those quadrant two activities that are most important to you, the things that require that extra focus. They might not be urgent, but they're highly important. And make sure you're spending a good chunk of your time on quadrant two. Okay, let's move on. The next principle we're going to speak about is the Pareto principle. This is also known as the 80-20 rule. This is actually the first thing that I learned at McKinsey. This is uh, day one of basic consulting readiness, BCR. We learn about 80-20. And the thesis here is that 80% of the results flow from 20% of the activities, also known as 80% of the effect comes from 20% of the causes. This concept was originally coined by engineer and management consultant Joseph Duran, and he coined the term Pareto Principle in the early 1940s after discovering the work of economist Vilfredo Pareto. And Pareto pointed out decades earlier that 80% of the land in Italy was owned by 20% of the population. And so this concept has now expanded significantly beyond that. Many organizations will say that 80% of sales come from 20% of customers. 20% of your product experience will lead to 80% of all the bugs and support cases. And this is just a a general point, and it's especially an important one for perfectionists, that often we can get about 80% of the work done in 20% of the time, and then we'll spend the additional 80% of the time focusing on 20% of the work. And this can be a really helpful concept when you're thinking about how to allocate your time and just remembering that you can usually get about 80% of something done in a very short amount of time. And um, if you you tend towards being a perfectionist, you can often get caught up obsessing over that last 20% and it might not be necessary. This is an especially important concept to internalize as a manager. The key point here is that not all tasks and projects generate the same amount of output. It is essential that managers correctly identify which 20% of tasks will lead to 80% of the results. This requires being thoughtful and analytical and using your best judgment. And one of the reasons that seasoned managers often excel or produce more output is that they have more experience with identifying that top 20% of activities. So if you're a manager and you're trying to make tough calls and where to put your team's energy and time and effort, just really try to hone in on what do you think those 20% of activities are that can generate 80% of the results. The next framework is priority codes. This is one that's very popular in the engineering world. I think it was popularized by JIRA as for support tickets, you often have to categorize them. And it's worth mentioning here that people will use priority codes in different ways across different organizations and also teams. So for example, for one company, their priority codes may have different levels of intensity than another. So you may have heard of something called P0, P1, P2. In, in priority codes, a P0 is something so critical that basically you stop all other things to get it done. So if it's, for example, in engineering, a P0 might be something so critical to the release of the product that you would hold the release to include it or fix it. Uh, P0 might mean the site is down and all work stops until this issue is resolved. Then you have the P1, which is a priority where the goal is to finish this task, unblock something else, and it's required to be done before other things, but it's not like don't sleep until this is done. P2 refers to ordinary flow of work. P3 is a nice to have but not required. And P4 is informational only. Um, Now, within the technical world, a P0 is usually something where they would say, you know, halt all work until this is done. But for other teams, P0 may be used differently. So for example, I was once a part of a planning process where P0 for us meant it's it's all the things that are absolutely top priority and we're not going to work on any P1s until we finish the P0s. So it wasn't a don't sleep until the P0 is done. We were working on P0s for you know weeks and weeks in the quarter. But the point was we needed to clarify what is a P0, P1. And I can just share anecdotally, I actually separate my personal to-do list into P0s and P1s. So for example, P0, might include something like uh, pick up milk and a P1 might include something like review bills. So uh, that's just a personal example. Okay. And let's move on to the last framework here. MBO, Management by Objective. This is Andy Grove, uh, former CEO of Intel and author of High Output Management, one of the most famous books ever about management. He says, if you don't know where you're going, you will not get there. And he references this famous Indian saying, if you don't know where you're going, any road will get you there. And he basically says you need to be clear on answering these two questions. Where do I want to go? And this answer provides the objective. And the second one is, how will I pace myself to see if I'm getting there? And this answer provides milestones or key results. Many of you listening will be familiar with the term OKR, uh, which refers to objectives and key results. This term is indeed generally attributed to Andy Grove, who introduced this to Intel in the 1970s. The OKRs comprise of an objective, um, which is usually a significant, concrete, and clearly defined goal, and three to five key results, measurable success criteria used to track the achievement of that goal. So, He says, MBO should provide focus, but only if you keep the number of objectives small. And if we, um, you know, we've already spoken about this at length, but he says, if we focus on everything, we focus on nothing. All right. That is the end of our section on frameworks. We talked about the Eisenhower matrix, Pareto principle, priority codes, and MBO. I hope that you will find one of those helpful as you work through your prioritization. All right, let's move on to the last section of this episode, the tips, tricks, and tactics. I have broken up these tips and tricks into three chunks. One is on planning. That's the longest one. Then on saying no. And lastly, on outlook and philosophy. All right, up first, invest time in planning. This came up again and again and again. And I loved what Edmund Lau said in The Effective Engineer. He said, prioritization is a quadrant two activity. I just love that. Relatedly to that, it's helpful to have some specific time that you use regularly for planning. So everyone pretty much says planning takes time. This is not something you can do in five or 10 minutes. So it's recommended you block off, say, 30 minutes a week, maybe Sunday afternoon or Friday afternoon or Monday morning to plan the week. If you run a team, you may spend significantly more time than that on planning. And if you run a strategy team, which is what I did in my last role, you might even spend weeks or even months doing the work required to come up with a plan. It's ultimately up to you to figure out how much time you need to spend planning. Some people plan daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, annually. Ultimately, you need to find your balance The next tip and tactic around planning that I thought was worth mentioning here, although it isn't necessarily around prioritization so much as it's around time management, is thinking strategically about your approach to scheduling. So there's a famous uh, essay by Paul Graham, founder of Y Combinator, about the maker versus manager schedule. It's called maker schedule, manager schedule. And he says that when you're operating on the maker's schedule, meetings are a disaster. A single meeting can blow a whole afternoon by breaking it into two pieces, each too small to do anything hard in. Plus, you have to remember to go to the meeting. And that's um, no problem for someone on the manager's schedule. There's always something coming on the next hour for them. And the only question is what? But when you're on the maker's schedule, and you have a meeting, you have to think about it. And so what he's talking about here is that if you are not strategic about your schedule you can interrupt the goal which is to reach a state of flow so flow is a state of effortless concentration so deep that you lose your sense of time yourself and problems and this happens for many people who are artistic for example painters um, or people who need tremendous concentration for their work like chess masters writers programmers and flow is an optimal experience because you feel sort of a sense of joy when you are deeply focused on something that is aligned with your mission Now, interruptions are going to break your flow. And so while managers can handle that because they're usually using one-hour blocks and their job is basically to move back and forth across those interruptions, people who build things like programmers and writers really need extended periods of time without those interruptions. And so Graham recommends uh, blocks of about a half day, call it three or four hours, for those tasks that require tremendous concentration. The reason for this is that it can take a while to sort of warm up. Some people would say it might even take an hour to warm up into a really difficult task. And there's some studies that show interruptions are highly problematic for this. So there's a study from Microsoft showing that it can take 10 to 15 minutes to regain your focus after receiving an email. And UC Irvine had another study that says it takes 23 minutes. Basically, you know, whether it's 15 minutes or 23 minutes, the point is that interruptions will slow you down. You have switching costs associated with them. Um, And it's better if you can just focus on one task at a time, especially if they're very difficult. One trick here, you can make fake meetings. So if people ask you if you have time to do something, you can say, sorry, that time is already booked. Nobody really needs to know that you're booked with yourself and your work. You can also do something like a no meeting Wednesday. There are many companies and teams that have experimented with different approaches to scheduling. But the key, our friend Stephen Covey says the key is not to prioritize what's on your schedule, but to schedule your priorities. All right. Next tip or trick is to use tools to help you focus on your priorities during this time. There's a bunch of different tips and tricks. One that's really popular these days is called the Pomodoro technique, where you do focused work in sprints of typically about 25 minutes, followed by a short break, about five minutes. And there's many apps you can use for this. A simple timer will work as well. There's some fun apps. There's one called Forest where you can set it for focus time and a little tree will grow and you eventually get a forest. Um, Or this app called Self Control on a Mac that'll uh, lock you out of distracting websites. Um, And there's many different productivity apps. I'll include a few links to these, but the main point is basically make sure that you are um, both scheduling and then sticking with those quadrant two activities. All right, let's talk briefly about to-do and checklists. Now, a lot of people live by their to-do and checklists. A lot of people think that these are actually harmful and can keep you from that quadrant two time. Now, one of the benefits of a to-do list is it can help get things out of your mind, um, The Brain is Not Optimized for Storage, and this is actually a central tenet of the book Getting Things Done by David Allen, another great read. He basically says that expending effort, trying to remember everything is very draining, so it's good to have some sort of master list. And this can really be wherever you want a sticky note, It can be software like Asana or your calendar or notebook. Just basically the idea here is get it out of your mind and put it down somewhere that you can check back later so that you can maintain your focus. So an example here, let's say you are working on your quadrant two activities that you have scheduled for your focus time um, and you're in the middle of a Pomodoro and something pops in your head like, oh, I need to pick up cat litter. Instead of going on Amazon and, and starting to look through reviews, you write it down and then you come back to it later when you are not in your focused time. Um, and basically the idea is to get it out of your head. Some people even say you can label every item on your to-do list by quadrant. So for example, if you have a long to-do list, you could say these are the activities that are quadrant two and these are quadrant three. That might be a little bit overkill, but, you know, you do you. Okay, next tactic here is seek Leverage. This came up a bunch in The Effective Engineer, and Lau recommends that you ask yourself on a recurring basis, is there something else I could be doing that's higher leverage? If not, you continue in your current path, um, and if there is, then maybe you rethink it. It's best to focus on what directly produces value. He recommends that you decrease time spent on things that don't lead to output, for example, status reports, organizing things, creating organizational systems, recording things multiple times, going to meetings, replying to low priority communications. He says there's a very weak and indirect connection to creating value for a lot of these things. And it's better to focus on things that move uh, projects forward. For example, products shipped, users acquired, business metrics moved, sales made, not hours worked. Also, he recommends don't forget the opportunity cost of your time. You need to embrace your priorities and recognize that you're always saying no and just ensure that the effort you invest is proportional to the expected impact. Relatedly, it is recommended that you limit the amount of work and projects that you are working on at any given time. When we work on too many different things, we waste energy on context switching. It's better to prioritize and serialize things so you can finish projects and tasks and maintain a sense of momentum. Momentum is critical for maintaining motivation. If you are constantly hopping around and not getting things done, it can be highly demotivating and ultimately lead to burnout. Burnout, contrary to popular belief, does not just come from hard work. It's often from feeling a sense of futility from all the hard work. So if you're working really hard and you're not having wins, it can be very problematic for you and your team. It's better to get things done and celebrate and then keep going. Related to that, it's great if you can determine how many things you can focus on or work on at a given time. Some people will say, You can really only have one priority. Other people will say it's great to have two or three so that if you get sick of one or bored, you can switch to the other. I can just share for me personally, it's two. I can only prioritize two things at once. All right, so I'll just give a couple examples here of types of priorities I've had at various points in my career. One that comes to mind is when I was a first time manager and I was given the goal of hiring my first direct report. Hiring was at all times one of my top two priorities. At first, this meant writing up the hiring plan, then it meant meeting with recruiter and aligning on our goals and tactics for hiring someone. It meant interviewing and writing up the interview notes Basically, anything related to hiring at all times was one of my top two priorities. Other examples of top priorities might include managing a project, writing up a strategy doc, putting out some sort of fire drill. And it's worth noting there are times when something is so important and urgent that everything else must be cleared. Sometimes there is truly a problem that must be fixed. And in that scenario, you may even take it down from two priorities to to one priority. The last tactic here in the planning section is don't change your strategy or plan too often. Andy Grove writes that we must allow ourselves time to judge the impact of the decisions we made and to determine whether our decisions were on the right track or not. We need the feedback that will be indispensable to our planning the next time around. If you're constantly switching um, strategies or plans, you really won't get much done. It can be really distracting and unmotivating. Lastly, just a quote here, time management is an oxymoron, time is beyond our control, and the clock keeps ticking regardless of how we lead our lives. Priority management is the answer to maximizing the time we have. It's by John Maxwell. All right, the next couple tips are around saying no. People will often say, you just have to learn how to say no, and I think that's sort of a silly phrase. I mean, easier said than done. Here's a couple tips and tricks on saying no. So the first is, about shifting your mentality from I don't have time to it's not a priority. So if you're always saying, oh, I'm so busy, I don't have time, it can make you feel like you're lacking something. It's sort of a scarcity mindset. But if you say it's not a priority, it puts you back in the driver's seat. It also sends the message that you are in control of your schedule and thoughtful about what you spend your time on. Our friend Andy Grove says, people who plan have to have the guts, honesty, and discipline to drop projects as well as initiate them, to shake their heads no, as well as to smile yes. Relatedly to that, say no with grace and kindness, pleasantly, smilingly, unapologetically. There's a lot of different ways you can say no um, respectfully. For example, you could say, thank you so much for this invitation or request, or I feel so flattered and honored that you would think of me. Unfortunately, I have to decline as... Blank is not a priority for me right now, but if I think of anybody else, I'll let you know. Now, remember, you are always saying no to something. For example, you're not reading that article that someone sent you or attending that event that you were invited to or going on that trip. So what's one more no? No. And this last tip is around managing up. It's sometimes helpful to share with other people what else you have on your plate if a request comes in. So, for example, you might say to your manager, hey, let me show you all the projects I'm working on and the expected timing. Are there any of these you think I should deprioritize to make room for X? All right. And the last chunk here of tactics is around outlook and philosophy These are just some additional sort of inspiring maxims that I thought would be worth sharing. So the first one here, good is the enemy of great. If you keep accepting good projects, good results, or good priorities, you will not have time to get to the great ones. The next point here on uh, outlook and philosophy is when you get the important things right, the small things don't matter. So for example, if you are getting features shipped and you're producing fantastic work, people won't really care if you're slow to respond to unimportant emails. And the last tip here is don't be too hard on yourself. You're always going to have days where you misallocate your time, but as long as you're retrospective, you'll continuously improve. Sometimes you just have to keep going and sort of brick by brick, chip away at a large and difficult task. I will wrap here with just a couple inspiring quotes as we are getting to the end here. Peter Drucker, the famous management guru, says, if there's anyone's secret of effectiveness, it is concentration. Effective executives do first things first, and they do one thing at a time. Also by Drucker, he says, efficiency is doing things right. Effectiveness is doing the right things. And lastly, from Sarah Drasner in engineering management for the rest of us, she says, prioritization is crucial to giving teams the clarity they need to succeed in their roles. Otherwise, chaos ensues. So on that note, I will wish you the best of luck in your efforts to prioritize in your life and work. I hope that you found some of this helpful and inspiring. I certainly enjoyed working on this episode. It was absolutely fascinating, and I'm excited to reevaluate my priorities in this new year. As a reminder, you can find the notes and key takeaways timestamps, glossary, discussion questions, and further study and resources in the Learn More document, which you can find in the show notes of whatever podcast app you're listening to this. Um, and yeah, if you have any feedback, please feel free to leave it in the comments of the Substack or email me directly, michelle at growthpathlabs.com. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for your attention. and I hope you have a great rest of your week. Thanks again. Bye.